Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living Church. If there's something that I learned from the story of Jesus' resurrection, it's this. It's not over until it's over. Jesus' followers thought that all hope was lost when Jesus died, but you know what? It wasn't. Their hope wasn't over. You might think that you're done financially or that your family is finished because of a recent divorce. You might think your future is destroyed because of this pandemic, because it's terminated maybe your business or your employment. Let me tell you something. It's not over until it's over. God has a plan. And you know what else? God has a solution. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You are positioned right now where you need to be for God to resurrect that which has been destroyed in your life. I want you to listen in, and I really pray that you're encouraged and strengthened. So we're going to look at the story of the resurrection of Jesus, or Jesus' resurrection. And let me tell you something. This story has been the subject for many doubters and many skeptics. Many doubters and many skeptics. They have debated this. They've attempted to rip it apart, dissect it, and um, and decide that it wasn't that, that that it wasn't a true story. That it never happened. That the account has many flaws and errors to it. And. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever come across something in the Bible that produced doubt in your mind? Think about it. Have you ever read something in the Word of God that shook your faith to the core? And I would tell you, I'll I'll have my admission, yes, for me, and many times for me, have I read things in the Bible that produced doubt and that shook my faith. And I, I... I want you to envision this with me. Imagine the extreme feeling of doubt that the disciples had the day that Jesus was executed. I mean, these guys gave up everything. They left their families, uh, you know, physically left their families. They didn't leave them in a bad way, but they separated from their families temporarily to follow Jesus. They left their businesses. They left wealth some of them they left their purpose in life behind to follow Jesus they left everything and there on the cross laid or hung all of their hopes all everything that they'd put their life and soul in can you imagine the level of doubt that that produced in those poor men and and, and you and I we've experienced that at times as well we wonder at times, has God let me down? We wonder at times, does God exist? We wonder at times, you know, is his word consistent? Is his word, does his word have integrity? And sometimes our whole world feels like it's crashing in on us whenever those doubts start to plague us. Well, that's how those men felt. Their hopes, their dreams, everything that they had been promised fell apart in, in just one day. And it, it's, it's honestly, it's like the worst nightmare that could ever happen to you. But let me tell you something that these men learned, and it's this. It's not over until it's over. It's not over until it's over. You might be looking at your life. You may have read a scripture. You may have had a whisper of doubt in your, in your heart. 
And you need to tell yourself it's not over until it's over. I might have a doubt now, now, but God Almighty is going to enlighten me. He's going to reveal to me the answer, and it's not over yet. So we need to stop thinking that it is. So here's the good news, though. Coming back to Jesus' resurrection and the story of the day of his resurrection, as I'd mentioned, has many doubters and skeptics um, debating this and, and have for probably for centuries. But here's the good news. Uh, Even though there's different versions of the resurrection story found in the Bible, they are in complete harmony with one another. They're in complete harmony with one another. If God says who he says he is, and he's proven himself, which he has, he is powerful enough to ensure the integrity of his word. Did you get that? God is powerful enough to ensure the integrity of his word. You don't have to worry about protecting God's word. God's protecting his own word. You know, you don't have to go defend the gospel per se. Yes, there's such a thing as apologetics. But at the end of the day, God's defending himself and he's powerful enough to do so. And so whenever you start wondering, you know, I've wondered this, and I bet you have, I know many have wondered this, you know, how can we be sure that the versions of the Bible and the the translations of the Bible have maintained the integrity of the original meaning? And I have one answer for you. God has made sure that that's happened. He's made sure that that's happened. The Bible is not in human hands. It's in God's hands. And he is taking care of his own word. The Bible says that he will make sure that not a single one of his words comes back to him empty. So God is powerful, and that's the starting point. It's not what humans can do or can't do, what humans can twist or can't twist. It's all about what God can do, has the power and the authority to do. And that is very comforting to me. So, if you look at the Word of God and you run across something that bothers you, that produces doubt or skepticism, here's the alternative. Instead of doubting, instead of being skeptical, why not just simply ask a trusting question to the Lord that you know He has an answer for? Isn't that awesome? Just trustingly ask God and realize before you get the answer that God has the answer for you. So don't, there's two extremes here. Instead of doubting and being a skeptic, or instead of having blind faith and and being uh, silly and foolish from a religious standpoint, ask God questions. But trust God when you ask those questions and know that he's going to answer your questions. So, as I'd mentioned, there's various accounts of what happened after Jesus died and was resurrected. Um, and in some cases, uh, in some cases, it would appear that these accounts are have partial reports. They're just a partial story. In some cases, it seems like these stories are divergent. Okay, in other words, they they almost could be thought to be contradictory, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And the fact is, is a partial report or a partial story is not a false story. And a divergent report or a divergent story is not a false story either. 
because eyewitnesses have different uh, perspectives and different uh, interpretations of what they saw and how they record those what, what they what they saw. And one of the things that I want to tell you is um, when we read the Bible and read anything, you need to consider two things. You need to consider the audience that that book or that article or that writing was written to because that tells you a lot about what the author was trying to communicate or convey. Let me give you an example. The Apostle Paul wrote to several different churches, and if you read the 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 uh, books that the Apostle Paul wrote to these churches, his tone and his approach is different in each and every one of those. Why? Because his audience was different in each and every one of these. Also, you need to not only consider the audience, but you need to consider the author and the point of view of the author. They all have different points of view. We all have different filters that we see life through based on our experience, based on hurts, successes that we've had. We see things differently, and we need to realize that. Wrap all of that up in one thing, though. The Word of God is the inspired Word of God. It's God-breathed, and no matter the audience or the uh, the the author or their point of view, this is all inspired by the by God Almighty. And so, if you consider all of these things, it's easy to read the resurrection story and see the harmony that it has. Each of these books has with one one with the other. But let's just look very quickly: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and. While I'm talking, you can put a marker in your Bible because we're going to be flipping between Matthew 28, which is the first account in the Bible of that day of resurrection. So Matthew 28, Mark 16, Mark chapter 16 is is Mark's account of that day. Luke 24 is the third one and John 20. So I'll say those again, Matthew 28. Mark 16, Luke 24, and John chapter 20. And I want to point to something. Uh, This is going to be uplloaded on our website, lifeworthlivingchurch.org. It'll be uploaded sometime today, but I have a matrix of the accounts of each of those that I kind of put together based on my own reading, and I think you'll find it interesting so that you can Uh, put this story into sequential order so that it makes the most sense and so that you aren't you and me we aren't tripping over each other or tripping over the study and misinterpret something so um, again mark or matthew 28 mark 16 luke 24 and john 20 but look at this Um, matthew is said to be written by one of the 12 disciples who is Matthew, he was a tax collector, also referred to as Levi. And his intent, talking, speaking of audience, speaking of the author's point of view, his intent was to write to Jewish Christians, um, uh, and he himself was a Jewish Christian, about the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy concerning the Messiah. 
So there, there's a Jewish audience, there's a Jewish author about a Jewish Messiah. And this is, this is very telling about the writing style, about the narrative, about the story of the, of, the, of the day of resurrection as well. He was there to prove that Jesus was the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. He was there to speak of Jesus as the eternal king who would establish his, his eternal kingdom. And his focus was not necessarily to provide a lot of detail or context, uh, but simply to speak of Jesus as king and to kind of record the chronology of his life during, during the three years that Jesus was here on earth. So that was Matthew's take. Now Mark, who is said to have been written by John Mark, who was an associate and disciple of the Apostle Paul, of, of Peter, not the Apostle Paul, but of Peter, he wrote down the story of Jesus from Peter's perspective. Uh, it's believed that Peter somewhat narrated the story to John Mark, and John Mark authored it somewhat in a biographical form. In other words, just a, a biography, a, a quick read, if you will, of Jesus' life, of what he did. It's fast-paced. See, John Mark uh, had a Greek influence uh, on his life. In fact, his, his uh, name had a Greek and a Jewish um, uh, aspects to it. John Mark, one piece was Jewish, one piece was Greek. And it's fast-paced, and it's intended to just focus on what Jesus did, not so much what he said. It was the acts of Jesus, what he accomplished, what he did. Luke, on the other hand, is a two-book historical uh, work that's very detailed, very t detailed. It's written by a physician, believed, uh, believed to be written by a physician, who is Luke, um, who wrote it to Theophilus, but not only to Theophilus, uh, Luke wrote um, the book of Luke and Acts, by the way, but he wrote it to Theophilus and a broader audience of Gentile God-fearing people. That's what this was written for, and it's written to be detailed, to understand the details of what the author was writing about, and it's written, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy reading anything in the Bible, but I really enjoy reading Luke. Luke is, it's easy to follow, it's written somewhat to me as a novel would be written, and, um, and it's just very, very interesting. It hits home with me whenever I read Luke. The last uh, account, as I'd mentioned, is found in John 20. And so John, it's believed the book of John was written by one of these 12 disciples, uh, John himself. And um, he focused almost entirely on what Jesus said. And I got this, my son was uh, talking a little bit on youth night last Wednesday night, and he mentioned this himself. It, it's writ, it's chuck full of Jesus's preachings, his teachings, what he said, but there's another aspect to John also. It was Jesus's relationship with us. See, John was a very relational individual. And if you, if you get into the couple of stories that are narrated in John, you'll find the emotions, the relationships, the hurts, the pains, the joys of those relationships. And so as you would expect, that day of resurrection, we follow Mary Magdalene and all her relationships. 
all her relationships, how she was touched by, by Jesus, and the horror that she experienced when she thought that Jesus' body had been stolen from the tomb. And it's just, it's absolutely an incredible, life-changing story that John narrates of Mary Magdalene. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to take all four of these and piece them together as you would a puzzle and put them together. And what you're going to find if you have your Bibles open to those four scriptures that I'd mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find that we flip back and forth literally two verses at a time because each of the authors have bits and pieces that have to be put together in order to look at this sequentially. And so we're going to start that exercise right now. And I remember someone saying recently, um, you know, I never knew the story of, and I can't remember if it was Jesus's birth or Jesus's resurrection or Jesus's death, but what I'd like to do today is eliminate that uh, what what might be missing from us is a complete understanding of what happened that day from beginning to end based on these four Gospels. And so we're going to start, and you're going to have to flip around quite a bit, but we're going to start in Matthew 28.2 and run through this story from beginning to end. It's a powerful, awesome, life-changing story. It's impacted me more this week than it ever has before in my life. Matthew 28, verse 2, it starts off by telling us, now, let me back up. Let me give just a little bit of a backdrop. Jesus dies on what we believe to be Friday. He's in the tomb Saturday, and everything that we see here is happening on the day after the Jewish Sabbath, which we believe to be Sunday. And so, um, the Romans, uh, the, the Jewish religious folks had, had hired Roman soldiers to guard the tomb because they believed the disciples were going to come and steal Jesus's body and claim that he had been resurrected. So looks what happens to these poor Roman guards. Matthew 28 verse 2, there's a violent earthquake early in the morning before the sun rises probably sometime between midnight and three or four in the morning, there's a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on the stone. Now, I don't know that I've ever uh, found a scripture where an angel sat this is, I think, the only scripture. I might be wrong. I haven't. It's not an exhaustive search of the Bible, but this is certainly the only place I ever remember where an angel sat down. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards, these Roman guards that I just mentioned, were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. In other words, they they passed out. They fainted. They couldn't take it. Now, I want to mention something that my wife mentioned to me yesterday from a devotion she read. But the angel didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out. He rolled the stone away for us all to see and, and know that Jesus is no longer dead. That stone wasn't rolled away just for those women that came to anoint his body that we'll read about this morning or the disciples that came to see where he was. He was The stone was rolled away for all of us even here today. You know why? Because a picture is worth a thousand words. We see in our mind's eye that big old rock rolled away. We stoop in to look into that grave and we see that Jesus' body is gone. 
It's gone. It's no longer there. Uh, the the death, death could not contain him. The tomb couldn't trap him. That stone was rolled away for our, for our sake. So that's the first real event that we find in this story. But then, and I want, I want to make sure that you follow along in sequential order, we don't continue reading in Matthew. We jump over to John 20 in verse 1, and we find the second event that happens in this resurrection story. And it reads early. Remember, John is the relational one. He's the one uh, that loves to speak of what Jesus said. But here in John 20, verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. That's a very important piece of information. It was still dark when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She went at dark before anyone else went and she went by herself. Very, very important to remember, especially as we start reading the other accounts of what occurred. So as soon as Mary Magdalene saw the tomb, and I'm going to interject my own editorial thoughts here. I don't think she got too close to the tomb. She saw at a distance peering through the darkness. Maybe it was a moonlit night. Maybe she had a torch in her hand. Maybe the stars were out, but it was bright enough for her to see that the stone was rolled away, and she didn't waste a single solitary minute she turned around and she ran away from the tomb. She didn't see any angels. She didn't see Jesus. She didn't see anything. She just saw that the stone was rolled away. She turned around in verse 2 of John 20, and she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. And I'm not going to go into any details, but we know that to be the Apostle John, the disciple John. So Peter and John, she comes running, and as far as I can tell, she ran the whole way. This tells me that the tomb was not too far away from where Peter and John were staying. So she comes running, she wakes them up, and she says, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. (laughs) We don't know where they have put him. And, and, and so that was her reaction. It's not Jesus is alive, he's risen. No, this is a hopeless, uh, despairing thought and response that Mary Magdalene said. There's no hope, there's no revelation, there's nothing mentioned of an angel seen. She just saw that the stone was rolled away. The other thing I'd like to point out is where were the other, uh, now there's a total of 11 disciples here. Judas had hung himself already. And so um, there's two disciples. Where are the other nine? Well, it's pretty apparent that they had probably all scattered And for fear of the Jews, they were staying in different places, and Peter and John had uh, had happened to find one another, and they were staying in the same place. So what happens? Peter and and John start for the tomb in verse 3 of John 20, and both were running. So Mary Magdalene ran to them, and Peter and John ran to the tomb, but John outruns Peter and reaches the tomb first. John bends over, so you've got to picture this. This tomb is is somewhat of a, it's apparently a cave, and you'd have to bend down to look in, 
but it's large enough for you to kind of bend over and walk into. And once you get into the tomb, you're able to straighten up at least a little bit, at least a little bit. So John bends over and looks in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So John looks in, but he doesn't go in. Simon Peter came along behind him because he hadn't run as fast and went straight into the tomb. So he he bends over, he goes into the tomb. He saw also the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Man, it, it, it shows, I mean, he was, he was taken out. Nobody came and unwrapped him. He was taken out of these linens, and his body was physically resurrected. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linens. Verse 8, finally the other disciple, that's John, who had just reached the tomb first, also went inside and listened to this. He saw and he believed. He saw and he, he believed. If you are someone who's skeptical and a doubter, and I'm not pointing the finger at you when I say this because I am that type of person as well. If we are skeptics, if we are doubters, we're going to have a tough love, tough time accepting Jesus's love for ourselves. But if we will accept Jesus's love and like John call ourselves the one who Jesus loves, we will easily believe that the the way you can become a believer is by accepting God's love for you. It's as simple as that. A wonderful thought there. But it goes on in verse 9. They did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. That's a big problem. Uh, I remember a story where Jesus told the Sadducees. He says, you are in error because you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God. Let me tell you what. If you want to avoid error in your life, and you want to walk on the straight and narrow and know God and be known by God, understand the scriptures. Know the power of God and your life will change. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. They just left. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Now let's fill in a little bit of the gap here. Peter and John get up and they run to the tomb. Who do you think tried to stay up with them? Mary Magdalene, she went back with them. Now, I'm sure she didn't stay at their same pace. They were probably running very fast. She'd already run once the length of the tomb to where they were staying. But she came back. Peter and John are gone, and Mary Magdalene is left alone at the tomb. And she stands there crying. As she wept, again in verse 11 of John 20, as she wept, she, she bent over to look into the tomb for the first time. This is the first time that she gets her view. And what does she see? She sees two angels in white, two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. What an amazing sight. <laughs> it must have been shocking to Mary to see these two men, these two angels. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. That's how much Mary loved Jesus. She was the one who got down in a, in, at, at someone's house at a party and began to cry over Jesus' feet. 
and she she wiped Jesus's feet with her hair and she poured expensive perfume on his feet. This was that Mary that did this. She loved Jesus possibly more than anybody else did. And so she's concerned with where he is at this. She turned around from the from the tomb and she saw Jesus standing there. <laughs> oh man, the resurrected Lord, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, the Son of Man, standing there right in front of Mary. But she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? <laughs> the question is legitimate. I'm standing here. Why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to hear God say my name. I would love to hear God say my name. It would make me know that God knows me. And that's the most important thing in the whole wide world. I think more than knowing God is that he knows who I am, is that he knows me. And Mary, immediately, as soon as she hears the master's voice saying her name, she turns towards him and cries in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized Jesus and she was the first person to see Jesus, as we'll see confirmed in another scripture here in just a minute. Verse 17, Jesus says, do not hold on to me. Well, what do you think Mary did? <laughs> she ran to him and tried to throw her arms around him as any one of us would have. And he says, don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers. Listen to that. Can you believe that? He called the disciples his brothers. And the Bible describes us as him, well, he describes him as being the firstborn among many brothers. I tell you what, it doesn't matter if you're a woman or or a man, you are a brother to Jesus. You are family to Jesus. He says, go tell my brothers and tell them, I am ascended to my father, your father, to my God, to your God. Wow. I mean, we could sit there and ponder that statement forever. Our God, our father, you know what? Whether you have a hard time believing it or not, God is your father. Whether you have a hard time accepting it or not, God is your God. He's the God of all creation. And so uh, in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, and I believe she went alone with the news, and you'll see why that's important in just a second. I have seen the Lord, she told them, that he, um, and uh, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these, uh, these things to her. Absolutely amazing chronologically, sequentially speaking, this is the second event that happens in the Gospels. Now, I want, to, I want you to flip over real quick to Mark 16, verse 9 and verse 10, and you'll see this, just a tiny little snippet of this story told in Mark and confirming that Mary Magdalene was the first 
of anybody that saw Jesus. It says here in Mark 16, 9, when Jesus rose early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. There it is in black and white. He appeared not to Mary Magdalene and several women. No, he appeared to Mary Magdalene first by herself out of whom he had driven seven demons. No wonder Mary Magdalene loved the Lord so much and appreciated him so much. She had been forgiven of much, therefore she could love much. Praise the Lord. She went on and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. So there you see it in Mark 69, just a quick two-verse summary of what happens and it is described in John verse or chapter 20 so let's do this now let's let's kind of switch over and begin to look at the accounts that we see in Matthew Mark and Luke and see how they dovetail into the story and and how we can see that they happen subsequent to Mary or to yeah to Mary Magdalene's story First of all, before I start reading in Mark 16, you can go ahead and turn there. Let let me kind of just set the stage here. First of all, there was a number of women, including Mary Magdalene, who decided to go anoint Jesus' body early that day after the Sabbath. Obviously, uh, there was groups of these ladies. There was not necessarily, in fact, certainly not a single group that went. Mary Magdalene obviously went by herself, but there was apparently another group of ladies either went who all went together or possibly there was more than one group. And the, the ladies' names are mentioned in Matthew 28.1 and Mark 16.1 and Luke 24.10. Uh, some of those ladies was Mary, the mother of James, Salome, Joanna, And then we find in also in another place that others were with them as well. So there was a group of ladies that went. But I want to start reading here in Mark 16. And even though Mary Magdalene is mentioned among these women, it does not necessarily say that they went together. And we realize now that that is is in fact the case. They did not go together. But in Mark 16, chapter 1, it says that when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early the first day of the week, just after sunrise. Now remember when we read about Mary Magdalene, she went while it was dark. Just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Well, obviously, Mary Magdalene was not with them because she would have told them, the stone's already been rolled away. (laughs) But she was busy running back and forth with Peter and John. So these women approached the tomb. And as, listen to this, these, these phrases are so important to be able to piece this together. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, And in Matthew, we realize he's sitting on the stone. 
all right? A young man dressed in a white robe. So they haven't entered the tomb yet. They're about to enter it. They look to the right, and there's a young man in dressed in white, which we realize is an angel. Verse 6, the angel says to them, Do not be alarmed, he, alarmed, he said. You are, you are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? So he invites the ladies into the tomb to see that Jesus is no longer there. Then he says in verse 7, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Oh my goodness. See, Jesus, previous to him dying, had told his disciples what was going to happen, that he was going to be resurrected, and that they would see him and to go ahead to Galilee. Now, I want to pause there from Mark 16, 7 and jump over to Luke 24, 3, where the sequence continues. And you can, you can see the story, the whole narrative unfold. In Luke 24, 3, it says, but then, but when they entered. So the ladies look to the right. They see the angel. The angel says, go into the tomb. So they go into the tomb. They enter it. But they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and I'll add in parentheses, just as the man in white had just told them. While they were wondering about this, so they must have kind of pulled out of the tomb, standing there, not knowing what to think or say, suddenly two men clothed uh, in, in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Absolutely amazing. In their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Now the angel says this because they already knew, they'd already been told that he, he, had, he had risen. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day be, be raised again. Then they remembered his word. So I want you to pause and think about this. Here's a sequence. An angel tells them the message once. They go in and look for themselves and confirm it to be true. They come back out of the tomb. Two angels tell them basically the same thing again. And I want to ask you, how many times has God told you something twice? How many times has God told you something two or three or maybe even a hundred times? Let me tell you what, God is so patient and he will increase the intensity of his message to you until you get it. God is not going to give up on you until you believe him. He's not going to give up on you until you believe him. These women receive the same word twice in a matter of minutes, praise the Lord. And God's done that to me before as well. He's told me something, and then he shows me either through someone telling me something, or my prayers, or in the word, he confirms it again in a matter of minutes. If God says it twice, it must be really, really important. So from there, in Luke 24, we were on verse 8, we jump back in to Mark 16.8 to continue the sequence of events here. And it says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, afraid. They said nothing to anyone. 
That's in Mark 16, verse 8. Okay, can you imagine? You've just had two interactions with angels. The body of Jesus is gone. They fled. <laughs> they fled the tomb. They panicked. They ran, and they fled. And Now, I, I think it's incredible because the account in Matthew also says they had joy in their heart. Have you ever had panic and joy at the same time? It'd be about too much for a human heart to be able to handle. To have that level of intensity of, of you know, you've just seen angels. You've been told that Jesus is risen, that he's going to appear. They fled in panic and in joy. Absolutely amazing. A, a mixture of emotions these poor ladies had. They thought to themselves, could it be true that Jesus is alive? This nightmare is going to be erased forevermore. Jesus has actually been resurrected from the dead. It had to be an amazing feeling, incomparable feeling. But we see now, going to Matthew 28, 9. Now, I told you we'd be flipping back and forth between these four books, and in this case, three books quite a bit. But Matthew 28, 9 we see what happens next as they're running in joy, in panic, in terror, not knowing how to react. It says, suddenly Jesus met them. <laughs> wow, this is absolutely amazing. They're running. They, don't, they probably don't even know where they're running to. And Jesus met them and he says, greetings. What a, what a just an amazing thing. I mean, when when you are when you're in a panic, when you're in a tailspin, when your world is falling apart and God meets you face to face and you have an encounter with God and he says greetings. I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Don't you worry. I mean it turns your world around. He says greetings. They came to him. What do you think that means? They ran to him. They tried to grab him hold on to him but all they could do was clasp his feet they fell at his feet they they grabbed his feet the precious feet of our lord and savior who had been crucified and they worshiped him all in matthew 28 verses 9 and 10 then verse 10 then jesus said to them do not be afraid but go and tell my brothers to go to galilee there they will see me. And they essentially received the exact precise same message that Mary Magdalene received herself. And so in Luke, I told you we're flipping around here. This is, this is what it takes to piece and the, the puzzle of this story together. But we flip over to Luke 24, 9, and there we find uh, kind of the culmination of all of these different actors not not actors but you know participants in this story coming together it says in Luke 24 verse 9 when they came back from the tomb they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others it was Mary Magdalene who told them it was Joanna it was Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles there was several women that went up to anoint Jesus. And after Mary Magdalene, they were the second to see Jesus. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that wonderful? In a world where uh, we're told 
and we even see that men get the upper hand. And, and in that culture where men in particular got the upper hand, it was the women that Jesus appeared to first. It was, it was the people who didn't have as much, who didn't know as much, who were, didn't have the respect. They were the ones who received Jesus first. That, that just blesses me beyond all blessings. So if, if you are down and out, if you have been, feel like you've been thrown to the gutter, if you feel like you haven't received everything in life that you, were, that you should have, or you compare yourself to someone else and feel that you've fallen short, God wants, his, him, God wants to reveal himself to you first. First, praise God. Well, in verse 11, we see, but they did not believe the women, <laughs> these hard-hearted men, uh, these men who had been through hell on earth for the last day and a half. They didn't believe the women. Peter, listen to this, though, and I, I have a, uh, a theory here that I'll share with you, but Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. He bent over, he saw the strips of linen lying by himself by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, it's possible that this this piece in Luke is not chronological, and this is uh, re- rehearsing or reiterating what had already been told in John 20, but I want to give you a theory. I think Peter went back to the tomb a second time. I think a second time he went back to the tomb. He couldn't believe his eyes. He thought to himself, it was dark. Maybe I saw something wrong. Maybe Jesus was sitting there. All these people see angels. They see see the Lord. I didn't see anything. I'm going to go back and look again and just make absolutely sure my eyes weren't tricking me. And he goes back, no angels for Peter, no Jesus for Peter, and he comes back wondering to himself. And, and many of us have gone through this. Many of us have seen people in church blessed, and we feel excluded. We feel on the fringe. We feel like it happened to them, but it didn't happen to me. What's going on? I wish I, wish I could have an encounter with God. Let me tell you what. You're going to have an encounter with God that's going to blow your socks off if you'll keep seeking Him. If you'll keep believing, it doesn't matter if someone else had an experience and you didn't. It doesn't matter if someone else can read the Bible and enjoy it and you can't. It doesn't matter if someone else has a wonderful prayer life and you have a dry prayer life. God wants to reveal Himself to you too. And it's going to be every bit as powerful, if not more powerful, than other people's experiences. God loves you. God is watching for you, and he cares for you. Now, I'm going to go on and tell Peter's story here. We continue on in Luke 24, verse 13. It says, Now that same day, (laughs) that same day, two of them, two of who? Well, two of the disciples, it doesn't sound like it was any two of the 11 disciples, but two of the disciples of Jesus were going to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They talked and discussed these things with each other. And I can just picture these men walking slowly. They weren't in any hurry to get anywhere. The tragedies had impacted them every bit as much as anybody else. 
Uh, you talk about depression. There was a deep cloud, a heavy cloud of depression over all of these disciples. And they were talking to each other. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. And I want, to, I want to remind you, where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, Jesus is there with them. If you're walking along the road, if you're driving along the road, if you're on a phone call with somebody talking about the Lord, Jesus is there with you as well. Jesus begins to talk to them and he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? <laughs> they stood still. In other words, they stopped. Their faces downcast. As I mentioned, they're depressed. One of them named Cleopas asks him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that has happened there in these days? <laughs> if they only knew it was Jesus. What things, he asks. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, a powerful in word and in deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. <clears throat> but we had hoped, listen to that, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came back and told us that they had seen visions of angels who said he's alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. You see the, you, you see the heartbreak here? The women saw Jesus, but we didn't. The women saw the empty tomb and saw the angels, but we didn't. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the Old Testament, in other words, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is early in the evening. The day is almost over. So, that, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And I love this verse in verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Let me tell you what, that's what the presence of Jesus does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It causes our hearts to burn within us. While they were still, uh, well, I, I skipped here, I'm sorry. They, they got up, listen to these two men, got up, <laughs> returned at once back to Jerusalem. I bet they weren't walking slowly. I bet they jogged or sprinted as fast as they could those uh, seven odd miles. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen, it has happened uh, it happened um, to Simon, who is one, one of the two uh, men. 
Then the two told them what had happened on the way, how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still speaking about him, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And finally, all the disciples saw Jesus. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? And I want to pause here and say this. For those of us who say, if I could just see God, I would believe him. Look at these men. They saw Jesus and they still had doubts. Doubts are not rectified by what you see. Doubts are rectified when God does something in your heart. And you begin to put your trust in God. Your doubts will begin to melt away. Seeing is not believing. Let me tell you what. Believing comes when you have a spiritual encounter with God Most High. Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. And it is so important for us to believe that Jesus died physically and he was resurrected physically as well. Why? Because that is going to happen to each and every one of us as well. We're going to die physically and we're going to be resurrected physically as well, given a new body, a new hope. Well, I'm going to uh, just mention something very quickly. There was one person missing from this encounter, one of the 11, and his name was Thomas. And we read lastly in John 20, verse 24, that Thomas basically told everybody, can you imagine, you got to pause here for a second and, and think about this. Probably a hundred people saw Jesus and Thomas was one of the 11, and he didn't see Jesus. you got to wonder how Thomas felt and the doubt that he felt himself. But in John 20, verse 24, Thomas, who is also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord! But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And I wonder how many of us have told the Lord that, You know what, Lord, until you heal my cancer, I'm not going to believe you. Until you save my son or daughter, I'm not going to believe you. Until you do X, Y, and Z, I am not going to believe you. You know what? Even if that's your attitude, God loves you and he wants to reveal himself to you. He's not given up on you. A week later, Thomas had to wait a week. His disciples were in the house again and Thomas this time was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, isn't this amazing? Jesus knows already what you're thinking. He knows your needs. He knows your doubts. He, he says to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, my Lord, my God. <laughs> see, see what happens when you believe? All of a sudden, God is who he says he is. He's Lord of your life. He's everything to you. Everything changes. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Praise God. I tell you what, the story of that day and now the, the week afterwards is just powerful. It's unbelievable, and it's completely in harmony with itself. Its bits and pieces can be put together to see the full story. And, and what I'd like to do right now is pray. Um, we're going to do a couple more things.